Next on the Well of Sound, the ballad of Ballads of. We were love somewhere on the way, and now I see we have to play Rock and Roll Circus is in town. I re-listened to the very first episode when I did the remaster of the Mop the Hoople episode. We had this moment where you said that uh, you have a fondness for songs that begin with Ballad of yada, yada, yada. Yeah, because there's a song called Ballad of Mop the Hoople. Exactly. That, By the way little plug here that that remastered episode is more than just remastered it's like 10 minutes longer with all sorts of cool <laughs> clips and much more music and sort of brought up to the, the to our standards now yeah it's great which it's what is what is. we had talked about for a long time you you had said gosh should we re-record episode one yeah because both of us looked at the the existing when we see it and you pull up the well of sound i at least i used to look at that episode and go ah, such a shame but it's also because the moth the hoople is so wonderful and exactly and and i felt like we didn't really do it justice but i yeah. would say it comes a lot closer anyway plug yeah. over but plug over, yeah. th- there's that amazing song where he tells the story of the band almost breaking up yes that is so uh, just heartbreaking and raw and m- melodic though and sort of bittersweet and yeah, it was an offhanded comment. Right? It really was. And then uh, you said, I think, isn't doesn't Billy Joel have a song called Ballad of? And I finished it, I said, uh, of Billy the Kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, which we will get into in this, <laughs> in this episode. And I'll, I'll say more about that then. But there's so many, you know, one of the, when we, when we put it down, the rules... Well, actually, first of all, like ballad is kind of a loose word right now because it it means like a slower song, basically on 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 an album full of rock and roll tunes. Right, it is changed. But when we're talking about ballad of, we're using the sort of traditional a story that is broken up into various stanzas. You know, and and sometimes like traditional like Irish ballads, Scottish ballads, they don't really have choruses. And just, the, the authors many times are unknown, right? They're yeah, they're it's, folk it's, they're they're folk stories that have been passed along through through the ages. And I, I think that there's like that that's what these that's the tradition that yeah. at least the titling, because sometimes even musically it doesn't even fit that. But yeah. Um as one of the ones that I'm gonna talk about has has it just is a cool name for a song. Whether it does not actually it a ballad doesn't form. live up yeah. to what is traditionally a ballad. And then uh, I, we will definitely talk about the 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 more truer to form versions too. I feel like a handful of these songs. Yeah, I definitely will do, do that. Yeah. But what's the rule? Like, or at least when I was selecting these songs, I was trying to think. A, songs that I just love that are called Ballad of Something. Yes, it has to say in the title, Ballad of Something Something. It can't just be, a, you know, a, a torch song. And we ruled out, like, you know, Ballad of Dwight Fry is an amazing uh, song like that. But we've talked about that in the Alice Cooper episode. There are a handful of others, Ballad Ofs, that we ended up, you know, that was an offhanded comment in that first episode. And then we've gone on to, in the Fanny episode, uh, we talked about um, Ballad of Mad Dogs and Englishmen by oh, Leon yeah. Russell. I mean, yeah, we, which I, is about I ruled that the, one out. Yeah, which is about um, the Joe Cocker, you know, legendary tour, which mm-hmm. is such a good song. If you have a chance to listen to that song, it's uh. it's one of my favorites. Um, 
Ballad of a Hard Man, which is a Thin Lizzy song. Of course. Do you remember? So that's that section in that Thin Lizzy episode where we got to talk about Frankie Miller and um, I'm forgetting the name of the band member whose hand got cut open and and Brian wait is it Brian something no it's the second it's not Scott Gorham who is the writer of Ballad of a Hard Man um it's the other lead guitarist right because Thin Lizzie has famously two lead guitarists yeah isn't that funny it's 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 gone from my mind right now too yeah 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 yeah. but there's there's like there's lots of these oh there's tons and I also wanted to not so so a couple weeks ago, I was in Minneapolis and got to go to Paisley Park, where Prince Amazing. lived and recorded so much stuff. And it's it's wild. It's like a sort of a warehouse on the side of the road, and then you go inside, and they mean business in there. And there's sound stages and a gazillion studios, and all of these insane shoes and memorabilia. We kind of designed it as a combination, like clubhouse mm. and future museum like i think that was oh, in his really? mind but he's got a song called the ballad of dorothy parker on sign of the times which oh. i almost put i almost like included but but i think it'd be fun to do a prince episode one day yeah and yet i say that knowing that some of the couple of artists i chose i want to also do episodes about them too yeah sure but it was more just like i i i, I don't know why i, I decided I, I thought prince is too big we we we, we can't just just dabble in prints. We can right. some of these albums we can go to talk yeah, about. Right, right. But right, that right. was anyway. I was trying to think in terms of ruling, not talking about and or like the really famous Ballad of John and Yoko. Oh yeah, um, I hadn't even thought of that. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't want to because we'd done McCartney. Right. I wanted to, uh, yeah, do some stuff that you know weighs in to talk about other things. I agree. I yeah. agree. That's that's. That's kind of what I did. And in some cases, with some of these songs, um, I don't have a ton to say. Yeah. But I think they'll be fun to talk about. And uh, also, I think it'll just get, to your point, it'll get the conversation going between us about, because we're getting to that point now where, you know, what's going to be the one after uh, Chrissy Hind, which we're going to record uh, next week. Mm-hmm. Um where we've got what what what'll it be? Maybe we come up some uh, with some options and throw it out there please. to judge. Will, please give us uh, ideas. <laughs> I, I love it. guidance is is always appreciated. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so if we go timeline here, uh, would you know what your your first choice, what the year is? Nineteen seventy. Okay, I got your beat. Okay, nineteen sixty five. Is, is the recording that I'm going to talk about. Um, it first appeared in 19... 19- Don't tell me it's Ballad of a Green Beret, is it? No, what is that? No, that's just... That's a crazy... Is that, that, a, like, is a, that a country song? Or is it uh, one of those oft-recorded, uh, you know... I think it was basically like a jingoistic anthem recorded by, a, I, I believe, an actual Green Beret Whoa. that became a... It became a hit. Yeah, like sure. A, a big hit. Right. But I, I think it's kind of a moment of time, shall we say. Um, uh, maybe it's great. I, I have, I've, I've never actually heard it. I just have always, it's it's sort of held up as establishment uh, rock uh, or an attempt to do that. Silver wings upon their chest. These are men, America's best. 
So, 64, the first ballad um, that I chose is The Ballad of Hollis Brown, which... Oh, Dylan. Yes, mm. is Dylan, 64. It's on the times they are a-changing, mm-hmm. um, but that's not the recording I want to talk about, actually. Uh, I listened to that, I, I listened to the Dylan recording today, um, and there's a sort of a, a slow dread that that happens in that song and it feels like a warning of of the state of things it's about a farmer in south dakota he's poor he has a wife and five kids and they are uh living in abject poverty and uh it's just one more hardship after the next and uh the version I wanted to talk about was uh, Nina Simone's, ah. which was uh, she recorded in 1965, a year later. And I didn't realize that there are quite a few Dylan songs that she recorded, which, I mean, that's not the most uncommon thing in the world, yeah. uh, you know, to, to cover a Dylan song. Um, but there, I think there's sort of a, a connection between the two. Obviously, she was a face of uh, uh, social justice and and the civil rights uh, movement at at the time. Um, and she had a fondness for his his words, his lyrics, and he clearly had uh, a, a a love and appreciation of her. I've got this quote here uh, that she was recording my songs validated everything that I was about. Nina Simone was the kind of artist that I loved and admired. Mm. Um, so there's clearly a profound connection between these two artists uh, from Jump, and uh, and I think they must have crossed paths in um, in the village in the 60s in in the folk scene uh, as as well. Part of me wonders if like her recording his songs almost was like I can't get any higher than uh, when it comes to these sorts of historical almost political songs right. that he was rec- very topical songs. Yeah. And I, um cuz he he totally turned his back on those for right. a number of years right, right after 1964. So it's a right. it's a I, I, you almost wonder if it's like well I, I where else to go from there? Right. If I got Nina Simone doing this right. she, you know I've, I've said d- what I've I need done to the say. Job. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so she recorded uh, "Just Like a Woman," "I Shall Be Released," "The Times They Are a Changing," "Tom Thumb Blues," and then this one. Oh, cool! Um, so, uh, and I, you know, this one for him, I wouldn't say is necessarily a, a standout, but her version, the the guitar is this forceful rhythm 
and um, drive in the song, and it turns it into this. It turns it into a horror movie. Frankly, it's just like relentless terror. I gotta hear it. I don't. I don't. I do not know this version of this song. In fact, I don't think I can't. I mean, I've. I've a lot of those early songs of Dylan's. Like I've heard twice, and I feel like all right. I you get, get it, your bill, you know? right? Yeah. Hollis Brown, he lived on the outside of town. Hollis Brown, he lived on the outside of town. With his wife and five children and his cabin broken down. Where you look for work and money and you walk the ragged mile. You look for work and money and you walk the ragged mile. Your children are so hungry that they don't know how to smile. Your baby's eyes look crazy, they're tugging at your sleeve. Your baby's eyes look crazy, they're tugging at your sleeve. You walk the floor and wonder why with every breath you breathe The rats have got your flower, bad blood has got your mind wow. So it has an apocalyptic Exactly, I, I and it's, it's, it's just wave after wave, crushing wave, right, mm-hmm. as it gets worse and worse and worse I just wanted to walk walk you through everything i'll do it quickly but i'll walk you through everything that happens to poor goddamn hollis <laughs> brown five kids out of work he's got to walk to find work that's bad right yeah, yeah. not great nope your baby's eyes look crazy tugging at your sleeve now there's rats in the flower the horse is sick nobody cares about you you're praying to god god won't answer you your this this line, your wife screams or stabbing you like the dirty driving rain. Ooh, ooh. Your grass it's turning black. There's no water in your well. And then he's down to his last lone dollar. He spends it on seven shotgun shells, and it's just getting worse and worse in that cabin. The the winds are blowing, and then <laughs> a coyote calls in the distance, and you just know that that's it. <laughs> The coyote's going to take you down if you don't take down your family first. Seven shots ring out in the night. And then it just, he seals it. Dylan seals it with this last line that just slays me. It goes, um, there's seven people dead on a South Dakota farm. Somewhere in the distance, there's seven new people born. Just uh, like, oh, that's bleak. And what a ooh. horror story as it just that and her voice mm. just is supernatural almost. Yeah. I mean she she communicates that otherworldly yeah. narration. Right. It's it's pounding. all tone. Yeah. yeah. Um so anyway, that's my first choice. So that Damn. was a, that was a fun start. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize. I don't think I never really followed the story of poor Hollis Brown. Poor Hollis Brown. I, I, I was not. Um, wow. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. Well, mine is like much lighter weight than that. Like, That's but what we it, need. it's still it's still good. But it's um, it's it. Let's cross the ocean. Let's go to 1970 and the release of 
Elton John's third record. Oh, yes. First record's Empty Sky. Second one is Elton John, which has your song on it. Of course. And he releases Tumbleweed Connection, which I think is a perfect record. I 100% agree with you. This is one of my favorite records of all time. It's strange that it's a perfect record, and yet it's directly an homage to the band. Like it's it's not in any way hidden. Like that. Oh, really? That, that and they hadn't been to America yet, but Taupin said, and and uh, and so did Bernie and and Elton both said they heard music from Big Pink and they wanted to do their version of it. Oh, wow! And I mean, we've we've sort of, I think we've we've talked about it in a couple different episodes, but that. I, as I mean, I'm a huge fan of the band and yep. Robbie Robertson and all those wonderful Levon Helm and Richard Manuel and Rick Danko and Garth Hudson, and I, 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 I always realized that they'd had a big impact. Uh, Clapton had and George Harrison had been yeah. so influenced by the release of those records, especially at the height of psychedelia, that really had turned the tide into this sort of earthy, timelessness thing. Americana done by four Canadians and a guy from Arkansas. Sure. And, but as, as time goes on, I continue to find songs as well as whole albums that are, and, and frankly, Billy Joel's Piano Man is in that same vein. Yeah. It was like, oh, this is what we want to do. Yeah. And Robbie Robertson is kind of the king. I mean, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down is not called the ballad of The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. Sure. But it, it it's might a story well song. It's, he's kind of the king of certain story songs. King right. Harvest is, is like... Yeah, uh, right. It, a lot of those... The Weight is, has that kind of form to it, even though who on earth knows what that song's about. So anyway, they, they were supremely influenced by it, and they decided to write a whole album about basically the American West, even though they'd never been there. I know. That's what I love about this album, sort of. The, and it, they were basically inspired by the bands, by a Canadian version oh, yeah. of the American West. Right, right. Which was not, I mean, it's all, it, it's like third Well, it becomes hand. something else. I mean, it's very uh, cinematic and um, it, it play. it's... It's a collection of movie scenes. This, yeah, this album. It, it burned down the mission. I mean, I, I love Amarina is one of my favorite songs. Country uh, comfort, abs- absolutely. The way I got into this record was actually via Rod Stewart's early cover of Country Comfort off Galveston Alley, which oh, I yeah. loved. I was like, wow, Elton John was writing songs like that early on? Yeah. And then I went into a huge Elton John rabbit hole. A- anyways. Yeah, and this song, uh, to be honest, I, I, I like this song a lot. That you're about to talk about, but it is not my favorite on the album. It is. It's the opener yeah. on the album. You're right. It's probably not the best, but it's. I mean, the, my favorite uh, song on that record, by the way, is "Son of Your Father." I think that's my. It's great. My favorite song, but uh, they're all good. They're all good. And "Ballad of a Well-Known Gun" is good. how it starts off. And a couple different interesting things about "Ballad of a Well-Known Gun." Um, well, you know, they've taken this this they've sepia toned. Uh, cover picture of actually a British railway station. Um, oh, really? Yeah, but it's about uh, you know uh, essentially a, 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 a guy on the run, a, a, a outlaw, yeah. being caught yeah. and dragged to prison. And uh, the, 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 I love it when he uses the phrase uh, the Pankatons. The Pankatons. <laughs> he, he, he has to like get that get. Uh, I, that's the that's some of the joy of this album is is I don't think 
Elton John's voice has ever really sounded better consistently across. I mean, he just, he carries you through all these, this cast of characters and he does it with, um, he's, he hasn't gone over the top yet. No, with his sort of, yeah, yeah. the Jack Black sort of, I always right. have Jack Black in my right. mind because he does a very funny impression of, of oh, really? of, oh my gosh. But yeah, it's, uh, he, he thinks he's saying like, um, the Pinkertons pulled out my bags and asked me for my name. I stuttered out my answer and hung my head in shame. Now they found me. It's hard to run from a starving family. It's hard to run. I always, uh, in my mind, I, I didn't apply any logic to it's hard to run from a starving family. But in my mind, mm-hmm. I always thought of the road and I thought of cannibals out in the West. That's <laughs> a, It's hard to run from a starving family that they were going to get you. Somehow they'd trap you. They have, they have an edge on you because they're ready to eat you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, now I know how Reno felt when yeah, he ran, when from, he the ran law. from the law. Well, let, let's listen to the song because it's, it's got that jaunty f- sort of... Yeah. I, well, I want to say it's like... Uh, Country funk sound, yeah. pre-country funk sound, totally. Uh, that has the great instrumentation, and Elton's band is just congealing right now. I think this is the first record that Nigel Olson and Dee Murray play on, but they they become and and, and he hasn't found his guitar player Davy Johnston, who's follows him through this. This is the beginning of the golden period, mm-hmm. and he's also, by the way, trying to shake off. Your song had come out, and it was right. doing extremely well, and he's sort of wanting to, he's like, I don't, can't just Bring be that. Bring dimension. Yeah. And did, did Empty Sky do anything? I don't know that I've actually really, truly listened to that album. Maybe a couple I'm songs. I'm not sure. It was, it, it, was, it was very hard to find for a long time. Oh, that's right. But your song was made popular by, as as we know, originally it, it came out first by Three Dog Night. Oh, and uh, you're going to say Helen Reddy for some well, reason. Well, it was uh, a lot. It was covered a lot. Yeah, and I think immediately people in Vegas started singing it too. Oh, yeah. So he he, I think he saw that he could have been pigeonholed into that. Yeah, and so and Toppin, who is really the great lyricist yeah. who's who's really the personality mm-hmm. that we're dealing with when we deal with Elton John right he's the one um, who said I just like let's write this sort of fantasy cinematic once upon a time in the West record right, right. this is how it goes
so good. <laughs> it's so good. And that drumming by Roger Pope, uh, there's this, the, the, it's, it's just, it's perfect. I, I love it. That kind of funky shuffle thing. Yeah. But what, what elevates that song, mm. and I'd always realized I liked it, but I didn't quite, I never put my finger on, it's the backup vocals. Oh. Which is, there goes a well-known song. Yeah, yeah. You know who's singing the backup vocals? No. Dusty Springfield is singing the backup Whoa. vocals. And if you listen to it again, News. you can hear it. You can't hear her really on the sort of main chorus, but you can hear when they when they do that sort of slow down. Mm. So you can yeah. hear Dusty. Yeah. And then you can also at the end when the, you hear that goes yeah. well known. Yeah, 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 yeah. That you can totally hear her, oh, wow. her like inimitable timbre. I feel like I, I won't be able to shake that from now on. Like, listen to it again. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, honestly, Spring, Dusty Springfield, one of the reasons like I, I thought that was so cool is because she's got a couple of ballad of type songs. They're not yeah. called that. Yeah. But I think it's uh, Lily Mae Jones, um, uh-huh. Willie and Lily Mae Jones. Uh-huh. Um, I love that song. And, and that is... Uh, uh, a Dusty Springfield song, and it's got this whole the whole sort of same vibe. I think a lot of the same guys were playing on these records. Caleb yeah. Quay was the um, guitarist who played with Elton for a long time. Yeah, I know that name for sure. Didn't uh, hold on. Didn't didn't they end up playing with Steinman? Why why do I feel like somebody recently in my in my recent memory said uh, I got I got a hold of Elton's band, and that was like a real high moment. I feel that like that was a Steinman clip clip that i might have uh, it, i i that could i i do feel like we're that's right but i mean obviously it was like 79 or 80 or something like that it was like much much later than that that's you know. so funny i mean this is still such early elton he's not a he's he, he does have this one smash hit under his belt but he's he's still learning to his his own vocal inflection you're right it's not a caricature yet no it's um which it only makes sense that by yellow brick road he would have leaned into i mean he's he's so on fire by then and everything he's doing is working that he would lean into all that stuff and post that album it would just get more and more uh outrageous yeah that, those inflections but here it's it's controlled and useful and uh it just it has its moments and he knows he's learning to flex it. Yeah. You know? And it's great. I mean, like I, you said, Pinkertons. Pinkertons. <laughs> I, I think it'd be really fun to do it. El- early Elton I'd episode. I, I mean, I could do all, all the seventies, but I, I gotta say, like, about. I think, um, this is like my, my favorite record. Like I, uh, I love yeah, a lot of them, yeah, but, especially Captain Fantastic. Is, 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 I do too, is, but it's, it's a totally different but sound one, by then. I also, I also come back to it like a, a lot. Yeah. And it's um, it's so refreshing to come yeah. back to it. I actually hadn't listened to that album in uh, five to ten years, honestly. And it just comes back, yeah, like that. Every it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, this song doesn't. I, uh, yes, it kind of counts as a ballad, but there's only two verses, right? And just an amazing, very Robertson esque guitar solo. Um, so anyway, that's my first choice. I love it. I love it. So. I think it's an easy segue. <laughs> Very easy segue into <laughs> to the other piano man, um, Billy Joel, uh, and um, 
this is it's going to be 1973. Uh, I I mean I'm not spoiling anything by saying I'm going to be talking about uh, the Ballad of Billy the Kid, mm-hmm. which is what we talked about for a hot second in the Mott the Hoople episode. But what I I didn't let on in that episode is really how much the song, how big the song is in my memory. Really. Uh, it's it's very distinct in my memory I remember you loved Young Guns that much is that Emilio Estevez it's honestly it's it's way it's way before that I literally remember playing G.I. Joe's on the floor and of course you know everyone our parents age had Piano Man yeah so it was one of the 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 few records that were in on constant rotation um and this song swept me away it did huh um because uh, and i'll get into it a, a, a in a second but um it's so cinematic again uh and it um it it's just i mean scenes from italian restaurant also cinematic piano man also cinematic in 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 that way but this is something outside of that and and is it's a it's a genre piece like ballad of, of a well-known gun yeah um but anyway just to kick us off here uh uh first of all i had forgotten that he hasn't re- recorded a pop album since river of dreams yeah. in the early 90s which is just, just wild it's crazy that you would be that prolific and that Good. Good. Yeah. Like, he, he again, if you've listened to his classic run of records. Yeah. Even up until River of Dreams, frankly, I like, like that album very for its own. few uh, times. I mean, he, he covered a lot of bases, and it, like, there's very little filler uh, yeah. in, in any of those records. I agree. I agree. And I like most of them, you know, on their own merit for what they're attempting to do in the 80s and early 90s. Um, I saw an interview, which is easy to find, of uh, Stephen Colbert uh, talking to Billy Joel about this exact s- subject of, you know, why wow. so long? Yeah. Have you seen this? No. Um, he said, uh, Colbert says, Elton John says uh, you should put out more albums. And Billy Joel said, yeah, well, I told him he should put out less albums. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? That's amazing. <laughs> He's so good. Um, so Billy Joel in 1970 was uh, just uh, falling up out of a duo band called Attila. Oh my gosh, the Attila! If you want some some laughs, look at the go the, look up Attila. The cover art, just, just the cover all, art, all will give you everything you need to know. Yeah. He's dressed like a medieval soldier, and he's uh, with his. I don't know who the other a guy is. In there's picture. a shield. There's helmets. Yeah. Um, they clearly just went to a costume shop. You know, like a a, a movie costume shop, and uh, but they're, they're surrounded dudes from Long Island in the seventies. <laughs> like it's they're not. <laughs> yeah, they're surrounded by side of beef as if that <laughs> somehow transports you to another time when really they're just in uh, a Long Island uh, uh, the back of a Long Island butcher or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, but the sound is is you know hard organ mm-hmm. you know it's it's sort of a heavy sound uh, early 70s. Iron butterfly. Yeah, yeah. iron butterfly <laughs> deep purple light. Um, 
anyway, that falls apart, no surprise. Uh, he does Cold Spring Harbor, which is an album I love. That's in 71. Um, and he tours that album. And uh, the DJs, and he does a, a live performance um, in... I don't know where it is, uh, but he does a live performance in 72 and he had already written Captain Jack and Captain Jack uh, was that live performance got a lot of airplay from uh, a Philadelphia FM station. Mm, I do and love Captain Jack. Yeah, it's great. It's a great song. And that's how he got picked up by Columbia. Columbia... Uh, signs him to a record contract in 72 and he moves to LA. And, um, and I feel like it's uh, the reason why I'm sort of dwelling on this part of the story is, is it's that travel West. You can imagine Billy Joel with all his shit going from Long Island to LA in a station wagon and he sets up shop in LA and he's making a living as the piano man in mid Wilshire, LA, in what is now Koreatown. I had no idea at, at, at a place called the Executive Room. Yeah, he literally was in a entire, piano bell bar. I, I, had, I have a friend whose father claimed that he was he used to go to that and he did a whole he did a whole podcast himself trying to figure out if his dad was really telling the truth or not. It really? Out, it, like he was this it was this LA bar that was Yeah. It's it called gone, the executive, it, but it wasn't. It was missing. It, like it, it changed uh, uh, locations. Anyway, it's a fascinating story. And he went under a different name, Bill Martin. Right, right. Um, wow, what's the podcast called? Do you remember? Uh, I for I forget right now. But it's it's it was interesting. It was he basically was doing a deep dive into like the nature of how we remember things. Sure. And was his dad, he, he thought his dad was lying for a long time. And right. then he did all this research and found out his dad was not. And he was actually at the executive room. Etc. It wow, was, it's cool, but yeah. So that he he he's there. He's there, that's and that's writing these songs. And which which you know I because he's Billy is a is a New York dude, uh, tried and true. I in my mind I always placed Piano Man in a New York bar, and it it's yeah, a totally it's different. It's a <laughs> it's a different story when it's L.A. It is not yeah, um, New York. So uh, in seventy three. He records Piano Man, um, and in 74, he does Turns... Uh, I'm sorry, he does Street Life Serenade, which is also in L.A. That's his last L.A. album b- before he comes back to New York for Turnstiles. Anyway, yeah, I love Street Life Serenade. I love Los Angelinos. <laughs> I love that song. Um, but on Piano Man is the ballad of Billy the Kid, and... Uh, and I think Tumbleweed Connection is is a direct influence on on this nod. I don't know if somebody said, "Hey, can you do a a band type I think thing?" It's, well, if you listen to the rest of the record, it's got a lot of that. Like, uh, there's a song. My, so my spoiler, I guess my um, not a spoiler. Uh, my favorite Billy Joel record mm. is the Nylon Curtain, but my mm-hmm. favorite. Billy Joel's song mm-hmm. is on this record. It's not Ballad of Billy the Kid. Mm-hmm. It's Stop in Nevada. I, I love Oh. And that has a total um Again, the band trip west. sound to it though. Yeah. Um and uh but there's that song somewhere along the line. Somewhere down the down the line or something like that. And uh yep. there's there's a whole lot of wonderful tunes on there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it has the a lot of it has that 
band flavor to mm-hmm. it. And they were right there in like, you know, at, uh, um, you know, in Malibu and Shangri-La at that point. So totally. They, they were probably a, a an influence. But you want to hear parts of it? Let's hear it, it. starts out with, with that really well, cinematic so, opening that would hook a child very exactly. quickly. It's almost like the curtains coming up. You know, or uh, uh, the opening credits as it does this dun da dun da and and the clip clop of of the horse hooves on 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 dirt.
And the judge said, string him up for what it did And the cowboys and their kin Like the sea came pouring in To watch the hanging of Billy the Kid Underneath the Boot Hill grave that bears his name From a town known as Oyster Bay, Long Island Rode a boy with a six-pack in his hand And his daring life of crime Made him a legend in his time East and west of the Rio Grande that uh, Aaron Copeland sound, that big West sound. And that actually was one of the big elements for me as a kid is I felt like I was in the movie, uh, like the big Western that has, when that thing happens. That song has more of a Steinman feel, frankly, <laughs> in the cinematic quality, the, the huge power chord crescendos yeah, yeah, yeah. Than, than Elton John. But I, right. I, I, it's a great year. I could so, so see a child playing with GI Joes being sort of like absorbing all of that. Exactly. On the exactly. ground. Exactly. Um, and it did the same thing as what. And you're gonna go, oh my god. Uh, do you remember the beef? It's what's for dinner commercials. Of course. Yeah. Of yeah. Of course. That Wendy's, right? Uh, no, it was just a. It was, it was just it beef. Was the you, cattle ranchers of America. Oh no, Wendy's was where's the beef? Where's the beef? Uh, That's excuse right. me. Yeah, it's beef. It's beef. What's, it's for what's for dinner? Yes, was okay. eat steak, America. But it, but it was like a cowboy always. And the music was Aaron Copeland's uh, Rodeo Suite. Uh huh. And actually, I found this out today that the voice in that commercial is Robert Mitchum. You can have a great beef dinner in no time at all. Well, almost no time at all. Beef, it's what's for dinner. Uh, and then it became, I guess, when maybe when Mitchum died, they kept it. It, it was ongoing, and it was Sam Elliott, and they just well, used of course. more Aaron well. Copeland. But it's it, it, to make that connection for me uh, that Billy Joel was emulating the Aaron Copeland sound, and then the same sound that I loved was Aaron Copeland in that beef. <laughs> It's what's for dinner commercial was, you know, smashed together and, and blew my mind. Um, uh, Jimmy Haskell did the arrangements for those the, that string section, and he was a soundtrack and score guy. Haskell worked with Steely Dan on Pretzel Logic and Katie Lied. 
he won a Grammy for the arrangements of, it's not Ballad of, but Ode to Billy Joe. Ooh, there you um, go. By Bobby Gentry, uh, Strings on Bridge Over Troubled Water, and If You Leave Me Now by Chicago. <laughs> really? Yep. <laughs> uh, coming back to this song now has really helped me. It's been a slow journey from feeling like Billy Joel for me was always a, a guilty pleasure uh, to really, and, and this song of all the songs, because it, it is such uh, an outlier as far as his sound goes, he, he doesn't do the Western thing really to this extent any any place else. Um, I always felt like this was the guiltiest of those pleasures. And now I'm just like, I, I love this song. Mm. And I listen to it now uh, in in a heart heartfelt way. Um, he, Joel just has such a way with with pictures. Um, for me, he really feels like such a poet. When he talks about, he paints the pictures also well, the way Toppin does. But when he talks about the hanging of Billy the Kid, mm-hmm. he, the line is, "Well, one cold day, a posse captured Billy, and the judge said, string him up for what he did.'" And the cowboys and their kin, like the sea, came pouring in to watch the hanging of Billy the Kid. That just, like, I can see it all. I love it. It's told so well. Um, And then we transition into uh, uh, Billy the Kid from Oyster Bay, Long Island, with a six-pack in his hand. He, he turns it around to he's he's Billy the Kid at, at the end of the oh, story. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, I need to re-listen to this song now. Yeah. Um, Because, I, again, I had sort of boiled that... Originally, I went to that record for Piano Man. Yeah. I loved Captain Jack and Ballad of the Billy the sure. Kid and somewhere down the line. And then I just sort of got hooked. In, uh, it's, uh, I on got stopped Nem- on Stopped in Nevada. <laughs> Oh, she's going up. I mean, that's such a great song. Um, it's a great song. But but that I I yeah, Billy. It it is a, one of the really interesting stories I think of. And every time I've read interviews with Billy Joel, you know, he's he really lets you in on how he's actually feeling, which is uh, yeah. usually uh, that that that. There's a Chuck Klosterman interview with him that was sort of epically. Uh, downbeat um oh yeah and you wonder about um and insecure and uh it was like a billy joel song come to life but without any of the pep yeah and uh i always just, think of him as like an angry young man but it's it's yeah i mean the 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 glass houses thing but yeah it's very interesting to to always fascinating when you see a creative force who just stops putting out new material i mean i think he was he did some classical stuff there's a couple new songs every once in a while that he's 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 sort of trickled out but it would be one thing if he wasn't touring all the time um right but it, it's like it almost feels did it like run a... dry or did he just decide i i can't go there any longer or i've done enough or or i don't want to tarnish my legacy like there's so much uh, that goes into those decisions, but yeah. to 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 be at that level of the quality never fell off, you know. No. It's, um, and like, and he well from now from from what I hear about his shows is it's such fan service. He really genuinely cares. You've heard those stories about him. Uh, they don't. They don't sell. I forget what exactly what it is, but he basically ensures that the front rows go to fans. He doesn't allow, you know, 
fat cats yeah. to to buy up the front row tickets and then you know bring a date that they're trying to impress and not pay attention he yeah. he he makes sure that it's huh. the real fans that are in the front row and he calls you know he asks the audience what they want to hear do they want to hear this or that um and it's it, to hear him talk about it now and and whether this is the truth or not it 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 really seems like he has or had come mid 90s a vision of who he wanted to be as a performer which is almost like the the greats the tony bennett's the mm-hmm. elvis the sinatras to basically say I'm going to do all the songs you want to hear. I'm going to enjoy them. You're going to enjoy them. I'm not going to force new material on you. I don't really, I'm yeah. not really concerned about that. I'm, I'm maybe that's, about... maybe that's a deep self-realization. Yeah. I just also, as, as someone who enjoys that music, I'd be curious to know what, what's actually artistically left to express. Is this, I mean, there's plenty of things you're going through and yeah. when you're 70s, right. I'd want to know, I would love to, like, I'd, I love listening to Dylan's, you know, old man music yeah and, you know <laughs> i i mean for that example sounds like a theme episode actually, old man music well going back to it the greatest what i've discovered is my absolute favorite elderly yeah, statesman yeah. you know genuine i mean cohen or yes someone? johnny cash leonard cohen these no ian hunter of mott the hoople oh yeah the records he's produced in his 70s because his voice is uh it is like, and it's always sounded like an old man. It sounds like an old man when he did right. the ballad of Mata Hoople right. um, back in 1972 or whatever. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's I, I I'm I'm he he talks about you know you can't really write songs about chasing tail. You can't really right. write songs about drunken nights, but you can write songs about other things. Mm-hmm. And like that to me is really interesting. Now Billy Joel, he it's not like he owes us anything, you know. Right. He's he's right. Song, he hasn't given enough. I'm just curious. I would just know want to know what the, what comes out. Well, Nick Lowe is another one, right? We we talked about the evolution of Lowe and and sort of his voice finally being the voice that he wanted it to be yeah, to yeah. convey the gravitas um that he you're in the heartbreak and the wisdom um, and the regret that he mm-hmm. always wanted to to sing about, his voice finally delivers on, on that. Yeah. So there's a match that happens, whereas before he felt like he was kind of faking it almost. Yeah, and he's a he's a I mean he's a guy who's just as we talked about in that episode, he just sort of stripped it all back, and right. what remains is sort of something that's almost more timeless. Yeah. But also it's total pure nick yeah I, we're gonna get to talk about a lot about nick next episode i think again i can't the, wait the pretenders episode um that's what i got so like okay my well my next pick is from uh you know it, i go from 1970 to 1971 <laughs> and this is a, a, a interesting song and i couldn't find that much information about it okay but it's a song called ballad of gale g-a-l-e by a band called the savage rose um, I know nothing. <laughs> now, the Savage Rose is a Danish band. Whoa! And the singer is, uh, I mean, this amazing uh, woman named Aniset, okay. a couple. And she is um, married to, I think she's mixed race, but from Denmark. Uh, sorry, yeah, from Denmark. And she's, um, it, it's continental. Okay. But it's um, she's got a voice that someone referred to as a um, 
a little granny voice. <laughs> now, when I, I say that, wait. the the All Music Guide, uh-huh. I love their description. It said her childish, wispy, and sensual phrasing can suddenly break into jarring, almost histrionic wailing, like a Janis Joplin with Yoko Ono-isms. <laughs> Whoa. And eerily foreshadows Kate Bush's style. What, when are they from? They're from the late 60s, and they, they're still around today. Oh, my god! Now, the reason, way I got into them is, um, I, you know, I like to follow like certain producers and their sounds yeah. and figure out where they came from. And one of those producers is Jimmy Miller, okay. um, who produced, started with the Spencer Davis group, did all the traffic records, and then uh, he, did, uh, he did a couple records by Sky, which is the guy from The Knack, his band that was really young. Okay. But then he became famous because he did Beggar's Banquet by the Rolling Stones, oh. and they did Let It Bleed, and then he did, um, I mean, he did the singles for Jumpin' Jack Flash and uh, Honky Tonk Woman, and then he did, uh, you know, Exile Main Street yeah. and uh, Sticky Fingers, uh-huh. Sticky Fingers, then Exile Main Street, and right. then he did Goat's Head Soup, and then basically. He was never heard from again. I mean, he did. That's not totally true. He did a couple of Motorhead records. Yeah. Two Motorhead records, and he did uh, a record called uh, like he did, he did a couple songs on Primal Scream's record Screamadelica, which came wow. Out, like, I haven't thought about Primal Scream in you know, a while. It's it was a big uh, Madchester yeah. sort of uh, late '80s, early '90s record. Okay. I think it's '91 is when that came out. But it sounded when you listen to those tracks, you have this like druggy English band that. That for they, they, half of it was sort of house music inspired, and then they had two tracks on that record that sounded exactly like the Stones in 1971. And the Stones in that period, when they had Mick Taylor, was one of the great sounds. Yeah, you know? right. And a lot of people attribute that, because just based on what came before and what came after, that Jimmy Miller had a huge amount to do with it. Right. And a lot of it had to do with his use of percussion. Um, he was a drummer. And so he played the drums on You Can't Always Get What You Want. And You Can't Always Get What You Want when they talk about Mr. Jimmy. That's Jimmy Miller. Ah. So anyway, I spent some time trying to find out what else did Jimmy Miller produce. And he produced some Delaney and Bonnie, which is interesting. Oh, yeah. And had George Harrison on it. And Eric Clapton and... Um, he produced like quite a bit of stuff during this period. He helped with some Dave Mason stuff. Yeah. But then he randomly did this Savage Rose record. And I was like, what is this record? And it's kind of got like a gospely jazz vibe, but it's made by Danish people. Mm. Um, anyway, on that record is a song called Ballad of Gale. And it's clearly written by someone whose first language is not English. Okay. Uh, but it's the saddest thing you've ever heard <laughs> in your life. Now, we're going to play it in a second. But this is the... I'll read you the entire ballad, right? Gail was only six months old when her mother sent her away. She lived in a world cruel and cold, never knew a real home. She grew up tied hand and foot in borstal behind the walls. She ran away as often as she could, but brought back every time. When Gail was only 16, she tried something new. She got a taste for heroin, wanted so bad to be free. Her roommates gave her more and more when she just asked for some. She never learned what life is for. In the end, she just wanted to die. Gail was only 19 years old when her lifetime was through. She lived in a world cruel and cold. The only one she needed was you. And it's like, okay, uh, this is a story of a, a kid who gets 
basically sold into what I'm assuming sounds like kind of child prostitution or and like slavery and then uh, gets hooked on heroin and then dies. And like that's the whole song. By the way, what? I don't think ever in my life I've heard the word roommates in a song before. <laughs> it's a slow burner, but you can hear the maracas immediately that make it sound like a Jimmy, that the traffic song or a, uh, or a Jimmy Miller production. Right. And every time I played this in the car, by the way, my kids are like, this is terrible. Turn this off. <laughs> but you'll figure out why, because her voice is so, so modulated so somewhere. wild and yeah, it's got yeah. like you know it's like I don't know a four octave voice or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. but this is Ballad of Gale he was only six months old mother she away
Uh, hold, hold on. I just have to pick up my head. It <laughs> fell off while I was listening. To that song is incredible. It's all carried along by this insane vocalist. I mean, she has got this vocal quality that's creepy. That's what my son said. He, Dad, this is so creepy. Oh, see, I... You can I, hear a little bit of the Kate Bush-isms in there. And the Bjork-isms. The Bjork-isms. Yeah. But this is 1971. Right. And, and it's like, you know, Miller, you can hear Sympathy for the Devil there because he's Absolutely. the one who created that uh, bossa nova sort of, uh, or samba, whatever it is. Uh, and the traffic rhythm. thing, too, like you said. It's all there. And it's... Uh, the whole record kind of sounds like that. Well, it's, that's what I was going to ask. It's a sound. What's the whole record? Yeah. The whole thing is a sound. Oh, my God. And it, I'm it, in. It's more than... Now, the the, the terrible um, irony here is that I found out what happened to Miller. Oh, yeah. Um, basically, he partied with the Stones for too long. Yeah. And when they all kicked heroin... He didn't. He didn't, right? And he was, uh, you know, there's his 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 sister is a Pulitzer Prize winning winning journalist, and she wrote a, a sort of epitaph for him a few years ago. He he died 25 years ago, but he um, she said basically his the story of his life post goat's head soup, yeah, is one of heroin addiction, right? And and hard drugs, right? And um, just ate him up. You know, he kept saying the music lasts, the music lasts, and that's like the true the music has lasted, but he's never not known. He's known among the people right. that knew. He created this whole sound, this percussive sound that, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, give me shelter. That right. sound is, right. is a lot Jimmy Miller as much as it is right. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. But it's uh But he wasn't there to reap the benefits in no. the eighties when you know He had a brief glimpse yeah. with Primal Scream. Right. And there, that was because that record's a real cult record. It is, but it never crossed over to you know. <laughs> but if you listen <laughs> to that, "Moving that, On Up," is the song. That, he wasn't there for Steel Wheels. Let's put no, it that way. No, he was definitely not. And I, you know, I, I think he was probably sounds like he was a nightmare after that. Right. Right. Because um, he kept he kept producing little things, but nothing. But ever you're happened. right. My God, I mean, we talked about it in um, in the underrated solos uh, uh, episode of just how definitive that era of the stones was what a sound it was and it captivated and influenced countless yeah. other artists i i can't wait to do a deep dive i'm hooked <laughs> all right so That's what do you got what's your all right so um my next one is uh kind of is is similar in in that uh it's kind of a cult record uh it's by an artist who only did one album um and that artist is Willis Allen Ramsey. Do you know who that is? You no, but I like that name. <laughs> Willis Allen Ramsey? He's either like a... Get your butt down here! A Nashville uh, outlaw country guy, or he could be he could be a soul singer from Memphis. I, what, who, who? He's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a country dude, sort of the alt country. I don't, what, what would you call the... So this album is from 72. What do you call the alt country sound of the early 70s is there a is there a name well it's like it feels it? like asylum records was sort of that that yeah a lot exactly of that. Or, exactly but then like you have the flatlanders and joe ely and stuff like that yeah. so that's what that we're might gonna, be a little later that's what we're gonna get into um the the song is the uh the ballad of spider john which is a song that uh kind of showed up in my discovery feed about a year ago and instantly had me i was like oh my god uh 
what is this? I need more. Um, I don't, and, and I'll, I'll touch on this in a second. Um, the, many of the other songs on the album were covered by other artists and, and influenced, um, uh, uh, many artists, but for me, they're not as good as, as this song. I can't wait to hear it. Never heard um, it. and, uh, it's kind. Of, it's kind of a story like uh, the Bill Wilson one I talked about in one of our episodes. Payday way back, giveaway. Payday giveaway. Um, where uh, Willis Allen Ramsey uh, was a young dude, believed in his album, and basically went knocking on Leon Russell's door at the uh, Villa Capri Hotel in Austin and said, "I have some songs that you need to hear." Oh. And um, he was signed to Shelter Records <gasps> and recorded at Church Studio. Oh, that's another of these pilgrimages I've gotten exactly. to make during so my book tour. You, yeah. I mean, you may have, like, in passing, seen this album uh, on the wall or, or something when you were there. Uh, what I, was that, I, what I was wore that my, like? I wore my Shelter Records uh, upside-down Superman. So good. It's insignia shirt this morning, actually. I w- w- went running in it. It's a... What was that like? I mean, it's been completely restored. It's it's unbelievably cool. Uh, it really is an old church that now is a cutting edge studio. But Leon set up shop there, and yeah, um, I mean, it was it was it was relatively short lived. Shelter, or, shelter, or, yeah. shelter, and church shelter with Leon with Leon. Yeah, it, but it was glorious when it was when it was happening. Right, and so there was a stable of artists who I, I'm only gonna just cover. Uh, handful i'm sure you can think of more but it, uh jj kale tom petty phoebe snow and willis allen ramsey was considered by shelter in 1972 one of their top I love how you just of- said yeah, tom petty and you just get yeah, keep going yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did record his first record there though yeah. Yeah. yeah and and was thought to be you know who they uh expected to be a, a big star but phoebe, this guy. phoebe snow too yeah phoebe snow, so yeah. i gotta hear this song Okay. Um, So keep setting it up. Yeah. Uh, Willis was sort of notably irascible, um, kind of a pain in the ass to deal with. Uh, They recorded this album in five different studios with five different sets of of backing musicians, um, including Jim Keltner, uh, uh, Leland Sklar, uh, a handful of other like major... Uh, uh, studio dudes um, Leon Russell plays piano keyboards vibraphone and does backup uh, vocals on this album as well other songs written by Willis Allen Ramsey on this album one Muskrat Love Muskrat Love Captain Sunil you got it Daryl Dragon whoa um, it's very different than the Captain and Tennille version um there's Geraldine and the Honeybee, which was covered by Widespread Panic. Uh, Northeast Texas Women, which was covered by Jerry Jeff Walker. Uh, Satin Sheets, which was covered by Waylon Jennings. And this song, which I'm about to play, I promise, uh, The Ballad of Spider John was covered by Jimmy Buffett on, I believe, his second album. Uh, so here we go. Spider John is my name, friends. In between freights and sure would be blast I could share your company I'm on my way to nowhere I've been running from my pain 
running from things I used to be. Now I know my words sound strange to you, but if you wait till my song is sung and my story is told, you might come to understand. I'm holding, been in devil's spin and running out of time. Not long ago, I held a raw flush in my hand. Oh, I was a supermarket fool. I was motorbikes doing Diamond lived, she was the sweetest thing I declare. As the summer wind had ever blown my way, little she had no idea my illustrious occupation. She thought I was a saint, not a sinner gone astray. Spider, he loved his lady so much. He could not confess his sins, for he knew if he did, he would surely take her leave. But you know that the word got around, and Lily left town, and he never saw her again. Tossing and tearing, causing his heart to grieve. Oh, I was a superman. got so much going for it it's got um it's got horns where you don't expect it strings come in in the second half 
Huh. Uh, the production is just wild. And then it's this story, uh, again, um, a, a, it happens in um, Ballad of uh, uh, Billy the Kid where the stage is set of sort of telling you, uh, I'm, I'm about to tell you a tale that's going to, to cover all this ground. And here we go. Uh, in this case, the main character who's talking to you is a hobo that's on a freight train and is saying, you know, I'm, I'm all spent up, uh, but here's my story. And uh, it's basically about a small-time crook, a handsome dude who was no good, and then discovers the, the meets the love of his life. And as soon as she kind of finds out his true nature, goes running. And then at the end of the song, uh, he says, you know, if you ever see her, tell her, uh, I'm still looking for her, I love her. Um, it's this bittersweet. It's 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 just a great song. I'm just reading about him while you've been talking because I'm totally, uh, absolutely hook, <laughs> hook, line, and sinker over here, Lex. You just got me. This is the only record he's ever put out. That's right. He's still working on the follow up. Yep. He's and st- it's called Gentilly. Yep. He said it was. It was. Uh, it, 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 he he showcased a little bit of new material from it, but th- when he. <laughs> When asked uh, when the second mythical second album is coming out, he always responds uh, with, what's wrong with the first one? I love that. Isn't that great? But that's, I mean, again, maybe he's got 12 songs in him or 10 songs in him, but that can't be. That can't be. What and is- he has an open invitation to record the album anytime he's ready by Jimmy Buffett, who uh, covered the song, as I said, and found out that, oh, yeah, uh, uh, Willis is is pa- pounding away on supposedly this second album, um, and he he needs a guitar. And Buffett's like, I've got the perfect guitar. He says, I'll I'll trade him this guitar if he'll put his record out because I've got a record label and I'll put it out tomorrow. I wouldn't even have to listen to it. We'll just do whatever he wants. We don't steal and we don't cheat. He'll get paid direct from Mailboat Records. Let me throw that on the table. He's I basically mean, like he, this guy's I got, will he's make got a this cult. record. He's got a cult. I mean, because I hear when I listen to that, I hear Towns Van Zant a little bit. Exa- yeah, exactly. But I also hear, but Guy I hear, Clark. I hear, hear real depth. Yeah, and but it sounds like he he has made appearances. He tours somewhat, but he's just never. Or he's done a couple of a couple. He appeared on Austin Simulators in two thousand. I mean, this is wild. Yeah, he is a cult figure, and and in that in those circles is well known. And I think, you know, at the time, probably amongst people like Jimmy Buffett, who was trying to figure out his sound at the time became obviously huge, Mm -hmm. um, was probably considered the star and, and, and people were jealous of him, right? Like he had, he's sort of this genius with this record. Leon Russell is doing whatever he wants and who is this guy? And he's a, you know, uh, 19 or 20 or whatever and Waylon Jennings is covering his songs in in you know the mid 70s it's just it's this dream situation but as you said it's not as if he just vanished into th- thin air like Bill Wilson or, or he's somebody around. else he's around he's and he's just, just like I'm working on it what's wrong with the one I already gave you well there's clearly some some other there's <laughs> yeah some there's some other stuff happening there um there's another good it's a little bit longer but um I'm, I'll dig into it another Jimmy Buffett uh quote about 
uh, how he decided to record uh, his version of Ballad of Spider John, which is good, but not as good as as the original. Um, I listened to it a lot while working on a white sport coat and a pink crustacean, which... By the way, what an album name, <laughs> uh, which is from 1973. Uh, but White Sport Coat covered about 80% of my set list. So when I went to follow it up, I needed something more. That's where Spider John came in. Because not knowing much about Texas, I thought it painted a vivid picture right up there with Poncho and Lefty, Towns Van Zandt. Uh, and everybody in the world already knew Poncho and Lefty. So I went for Spider John. It's a wanderer's tale kind of like El Paso by Marty Robbins, Willis's song, oh, Willis sang, I, this is the chorus, Willis sang, I was a supermarket fool, I was a motor bank stool pigeon, robbing my own time. That was great. And then Spider John couldn't confess his sins to the girl, Diamond Lil, because he knew if he did, quote, she would surely take her leave, which of course she did anyway. How great is that? <laughs> well, that's a you've really turned me on to something here. Yeah. This is well, because because the last one I'm gonna do. Yeah. Well, I guess I have sort of two more. Okay. I, I, have, I have another one, and then I got sort of like a like a footnote. Great. I guess. Great. Um. And uh, the last one I'm I'm doing is well, something you definitely know, something a lot of people know. Um, and we'll probably we've we've tossed around the idea of doing uh. Uh, a whole episode on these guys um, oh, at some point. I know what this is. And I uh, just, I, I want to. Yeah. Um, but uh, haven't gotten there. Uh, and it's The Ballad of El Gudo by Big Star. Which comes One out of the best songs ever made. In 1972. So whenever I hear The Ballad of, yeah. I always think of El Gudo. I mean, I always think of, of Big Star. Right. And this song it was one of the, like... Um, if if you listen, so so Big Star, if, if, if for those of you who don't know, they're kind of the ultimate cult band. I mean, they're they're next. I guess Neil Allen Ramsey. There's not <laughs> they don't hold a candle there. There's that well known, or they and they did have three records instead of one. Yeah. But this is Alex Chilton uh, of the Chris Box Bell. Tops and Chris Bell in in Memphis getting together. These two young guys, though Bell. I mean, Chilton was sort of a known commodity, and they uh, kind of out of the blue. In 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 uh, right there in in Memphis in Arden Studios, craft this what what a lot of people call like the first power pop yeah. record yeah or they they I've heard it described as a a love letter uh, sent from 1972 that wasn't read until 1984 because right. it, it's so inspired the right. jangle pop right I can hear R-E-M. it in my head right now yeah and it was this uh, in a time when people were going more bluesy uh, Zeppelin was king uh, they were going they were Americans going back to the British invasion almost and doing power pop and and uh, I, I have a lot of love for a lot of time for Big Star a lot of time for Alex Alex Chilton was a very um, contrarian mm-hmm. figure. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about him before, I mm-hmm. think, in our Christmas songs episode. Yeah. Um, and Bell was this sort of studio kind of wunderkind. And um, they had a producer named John Fry, who was a very sort of straight-laced dude and was a, a bit of like a genius when it comes to... When you listen to the production of the first record, of number one record, it's so clear and chiming. And on El Ballad of El Goodo, everyone talks about how the phasing on the electric guitar is, is sort of textbook. Um, 
but here you have uh, Chilton, who hadn't been really writing songs he, 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 before this. I mean, he, he in the box tops he was singing. The letter was their big song. They were kind of teen idols, and right. he had this gruff voice. Right. And then that sort of flamed out, and he went to New York and wrote a bunch of songs, including the Ballad of El Goodo, mm. that he then brought back to Memphis, met with Chris Bell. They put this record together. And Ballad of El Goodo, I guess it's about... The draft. It's about draft oh, dodging. Okay. If you listen to it okay. with that in mind, right. you, they'll dress you up and tear you down and right. stand you in a row. Right. Um, you know, I don't have to fight. Like if I don't fight, I'll fall. Yeah. Um, but I could just say no. You yeah. know, it's, 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 it is about the Vietnam War. Right. And yet the lyrics are so, they tap into such a deep well of a lot of uh, Chilton stuff on those big star records, especially the song 13, but it's like of an adolescent kind of years ago my heart was meant to live is yeah. the opening right so uh, you know but i've been and i've been trying hard against unbelievable odds yeah, yeah. uh and there ain't no one's gonna turn me around you know it's 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 been interpreted as about success about um and he's got a very conflicted relationship with success he was he sabotaged himself a lot um but this song is simply a pure it's a piece of pop perfection yeah with melancholy and kind of he, he used to be known as a blue-eyed soul singer he, he adopted a completely different voice totally and you hear the the backing beach boys backing vocals that chris bell added to it right which also that solo that one chris bell solo album is also oh, incredible i am mean, the cosmos is yeah. one of these songs that is uh that's a that's a real kind of song to put on your gravestone <laughs> yeah um but let's let's hear it and yeah. then we can talk about it a little bit more because it's it's so good um that you can just sort of it, it was is the, the first time i heard i got i'd heard so much about big star i got them from through columbia record club really or bmg like they had the, they had the both CD? the records on the on, on one the one cd, CD yeah and I got that, and I remember listening to it. I was like, okay, this is good, but right. is this one of these things where like, I like the stuff that's influenced more than the stuff right, I've heard? Right, right, right. And then but I guess just... The Ballad of El Goodo. Yeah. And over the years, over the years, frankly, my, my I prefer Radio City, the follow-up. Sure. The Bell is actually all over, but yeah. it's not credited on. But The Ballad of El Goodo stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. Again, it's also not a ballad in the same way. It's right. not, neither that slow right. nor a storytelling song. Right. So, um, right. It must be some, and I, I could not find anywhere what the reference is. Who El Goodo is? Yeah. Uh, or yeah. what they're talking, what he's talking about. Have I, you seen that doc? Yeah, yeah. But here's the El Ballad of El Goodo, which is, again, top of the mountain. Years ago, my heart was set to live. Oh. I've been trying hard against unbelievable odds. It gets so hard in times like now to hold on. But guns that wait to be stuck right at my side is gone. And there ain't no one going to turn me. Turn me around. 
Something clicked for me just now, uh, and it, I I think I I knew it um, based on their reputation and and their the cult following that they had. But I can absolutely understand how this record, especially for musicians who were teenagers at the time, was a record, and and the the other two. Uh, that was played over and over and over and over again because I I I could play I could transpose that record for the ones when I was seventeen or eighteen that were so sweet and and 
touched on teen themes and longing and all the things that they touch on um, that were happening, you know, for for me as a as a teenager in the '90s, and those albums were uh, Tom Petty's Wildflowers, um, Matthew Sweet's 100% Fun, mm-hmm. uh, you know, albums like that. Yeah, where <laughs> you play them over and over again because they just hit the spot, and that's what this album does and did. You can hear this. There's a, just a tad of Alf Kilterness to his vocals. Oh, they're very pretty, but there's a you know beat down and busted. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a um, right. There's it, adolescent emotion in Spades that doesn't feel contrived or false. Right. And you can and it's so right. It's pretty. authentic. And then those drum fills that Jody Stevens does. Right. You can feel like it's yours. Right. Right. When you listen to that, think about Matthew Sweet. It's like. Matthew Sweet, here's your career. Like exactly, and he, and he and covers he would, the song. He would say that. I mean, it's um, yeah. Evan Dando does a great cover of it. Every yep. every Evan Dando right. cover is pretty great. To yeah, be yeah, yeah. But I could listen to that for hours. Mm-hmm. The the bridge mm-hmm. is perfect. Yeah. The engineering, I think, like again, you, it's a great headphone song. Yep. Great headphone song. So um, I'd love to I'd love to do a big star Chris Bell Alex Chilton episode one right, day, right? Because uh, I'm fascinated also by Third and uh, their their third record. I like Third too, and I do love um, Radio City is my favorite, and then yeah. I, I, the Chris Bell stuff is just wildly delicious, um, though also quite heavy in the sense right. of it's just existential nightmare i am the uh, cosmos <laughs> but neither both of these figures are quite tragic you know yeah uh, bell's a little easier to romanticize because he died so young right but um uh yeah chilton by all accounts was not a easy dude easy dude uh-uh. uh but this song again so, to, to produce something like you know if i could do some if i could do something a portion of that beautiful just just 10 seconds of that that's sort of worth a lifetime almost i think it's that well that's the thing also is like for every uh person that hears this for the first time it's always fresh to them it's you know it's opening a a new can of tennis balls (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well big star there's 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 a there's a there's a lot there and baladella goodo is a great place to start so that's my um last one you want my footnote one yeah because the footnote is you know the guy who produced elton john's uh uh tumbleweed connection gus dudgeon yeah he total english eccentric who was you know again he was he crafted that sound. If Bernie was the the lyrics and the sort of personality, and Elton was the melodies yeah. and the piano, he would sort of leave the studio and let Gus sort of put the, the tracks together, and right. Paul Buckmaster would come and do that. Anyway, I don't know what happened to Gus Dudgeon really for a long time um, until the next, the only other note I have from him. Yeah, he he produced Space Oddity Oddity by. Um, Bowie, Bowie, that's how he got the Elton John gig. But um, just the song, not the record. Uh, was that in 1992, he produces the album None Such by Ecstasy. XTC. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that album, 
uh, when a lot of people, XTC is sort of new wave and kind of starts out kind of punky and big yeah. star influenced, and they transition, and they kind of transition time. into orchestral stuff. They work with Todd Rundgren, right? Though they, right? The, the, the stories, yeah. Are what's like, the? I know there's a Rundgren story in oh, there. Oh, they where just it's like, hated each other. <laughs> like they just. I mean, it sounds like Rundgren. It sounds like every other artist that worked with Rundgren hated him. You know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Right. But Right. He also it's, pulled out amazing work from them. Right, like right. they're rarely ha- unhappy with the work. Yeah. But they never want to speak to they, them yeah, again. Right. They're done. <laughs> He's clearly a bit of an asshole. But the the uh, Andy Partridge, who's the the main songwriter and singer in XTC, along with Colin Molding, is the bassist. But he wrote this song on that record, uh, which is a, kind of a big hit, called "The Ballad of Peter Pumpkinhead." <laughs> I was like, what is it? David S. Pumpkins? No, no. It is a ballad, or it's not a ballad. It's an upbeat, amazing pop song. Yeah, it's upbeat, right? It's upbeat. And, uh, you know, frankly, it's not a very, like, it's not shaded at all. It's sort of his riffing on what what he says, what would it be like if a really perfect person who told the truth came along and how many enemies with that person and it's it's a not very shaded veiled uh, reference to jesus mm. because at the end of the song peter Pumpkinhead gets nailed to a, a chunk oh, of wood gotcha um but it's about how he everyone upset the church hates him people hate him the people with money hate him and yet he the poor love him and he's right. uh, he made a lot of enemies but the song uh is uh is just a slice of perfection and it was a huge hit in classic ecstasy fashion, it was pretty subversive. But he, and then and then it became an, even another hit again when the Crash Test Dummies covered it. <laughs> Americans mm-hmm. never really latched on to ecstasy. But here's the Peter Pumpkinhead as produced by Gus Dudgeon in 1993.
It's great. I mean, it's great. I love the content. I love the sort of satire. I love the melody. I love the. the... It's also a sound, right? Like I love. That... The, I love that harmonica. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love how it ends. It says, uh, "Peter Pumpkinhead was too good. Had him nailed to a chunk of wood. He died grinning on live TV. Hanging there, he looked a lot like you and an awful lot like me." Wow. And it's just it's a it's a off kilter. Uh, song about you know goodness and and our resistance to it and i i found it to be like a i always circle around ecstasy uh and i enjoy the stuff that i the the big songs i i love and i always try to get a little bit deeper but i never get there and i feel like but i always keep coming back i always keep trying i'm 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 in the same camp I, i haven't i haven't uh fallen in love right but there's a song on the, that's the record I like the most. There's a song there called "The Disappointed," which is not only these beautiful swooping melodies, but mm. that's my final ballad of, and it tells a story. So, um, yeah, totally. With these big drums and yeah. Gus Dudgeon and right, long way from "Ballad of a Well-Known Gun." <laughs> it really is. And apparently, they fired him at the like he tried to mix the whole thing, and they 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 didn't have a great relationship with him either. But um, uh, he did he did produce the record. Yeah, that's what I feel like that. That's what I've read about the Rundgren stuff is that it all falls apart at the end with the mixing and the and the the mastering. I feel like there's some story there too with Rundgren. I forget what it is. All right, Todd to just sounds like a lot, and and I, that's why he's so fun and interesting. He really, in my mind, he's like the. Um, uh, Jimmy Fallon computer guy, the IT guy that's oh, like, yeah. move. <laughs> yeah. That's what I picture. That is exactly <laughs> what he was. I mean, yeah. oh, poor meatloaf. Um, uh, so my last one uh, gets us to the late 90s. Um, it is... The Crash Test Dummies version of Peter Pumpkinhead. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough. Um, no, it is uh, Ballad of Big Nothing uh, by oh. Elliot Smith. And I somehow we have <sighs> never talked about Elliot Smith, but I have a feeling... I have a lot that, to say about Elliot Smith. Great. I have a, great. a deep, deep, well, deep is, affinity for Elliot Smith. This is the, this is the time and the place. Um, the, the saddest, I'll tell you this, the saddest rock and roll show concert I've ever seen. <gasps> you saw him? I have saw him three times. Oh, my God. And I saw him right at the end. Yeah. And I saw him at a festival, and he was playing a side stage, and he was clearly in really bad shape. Was he, he? He played a cover. Sober and in bad shape, or was no? He, he not? was clearly because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd seen him sober. I'd seen him sober and right. play when he had the people from Quasi as his backup band. Uh-huh. Uh, the Janet Weiss, I think, from Slater Kinney, who the, yeah. the the drummer, and um, Sam something on keyboards, and. That was an incredible show. Yeah. I saw him tour after EXO. I saw him tour after either or. Yeah. Um, but I saw him sort of while I think he was recording that the final record, which I it's a beautiful record. It is from a basement on a hill. But um, it was the saddest. He was in such bad shape, uh-huh. and he was he's forgetting lyrics. But then he did a cover. Uh, just just with the acoustic guitar, just him. He did a cover of George Harrison's song. Give me love, give me peace yeah, on earth. Yeah, and I don't think I'd really knew that song. I mean, I'd I'd, I'd never gone that deep past all things must pass, and it's oh, the wow. next thing past that. But it was, I mean, oh, it was so he, raw and pretty. Yeah, and full of 
sadness and pathos that I we almost had to all sort of leave the concert after that point because it was it was it was, it was like Blur was playing and I think Tribe Called Quest was playing. It was a part of a festival. Yeah. But we saw this and I was with a couple of my dear friends who really loved Elliot Smith. Yeah. And um, we just sort of thought, oh my gosh, this guy's not long for this world. Yeah, it, it was it was hard not to see it and and feel that way. I mean, he was such a hero to I feel like to our generation at that age, and it was such a rapid rise. And part of it in the in for a wider audience was facilitated by Goodwill Hunting mm-hmm. in '97. Yeah. Um, like, the single greatest moment of the Oscars of all time, in my opinion, is is you know is is when that a lady saying, you know, <laughs> "Take a look at me now," <laughs> with the, the Phil Collins song, "No, uh, against all odds, no." It's it's like the it's like the absolute inverse of that. It's the photo negative of that. Is when well, you he know, got up they, there they, in that white suit and sang Miss Misery. Yeah, and it was like worlds colliding. A guy from outer space, or actually just from the real world, showed up in in outer space, and it was. It's almost devastating. like they they <laughs> learned their lesson from Phil Collins. He didn't. Elliot Smith didn't want to do it, and they were like, "Well, we'll have somebody else do it if you don't." They didn't give that option to Phil Collins. I'll fake <laughs> it through like... the day. <laughs> the help of Johnny Walker Red. Oh. Um. Yeah. So he did, I think, like five. Well, Miss Misery was for Goodwill Hunting. It was just on that. But it's the same era as Ballad of Big Nothing. That's on either or, right? Yes. Which exactly. is uh, another one of these. Uh, but it also has the, the soundtrack to Goodwill Hunting has um, stuff from Roman Candle and Elliot Smith. Between the Bars. Yeah. No Name Number Three. Is no that name, on there? Yep. Say Yes, uh, which is from either or. Um, I mean, every every generation must have its great soundtracks, but to me, that soundtrack, it's like the Magnolia soundtrack. It's kind of... Well, you know, in listening to this, I actually, my mind started going and thinking about Goodwill Hunting, and I was like, oh my God, they could totally do Goodwill Hunting too. Like, we could catch up with those guys now, and it would be a compelling, interesting story. I mean, it would be... Uh, uh, Will is kind of a, a down on his luck genius who never made it, and uh, Ben Affleck's character is like a rich contractor in the Boston suburbs, <laughs> married to a, a beautiful la- <laughs> exactly. Latin pop star. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> um, do you know who did win um, that year? He did not. Elliot Smith did not win the. Did Peter Academy. Gabriel win? No. No, I thought that might have been the that'll do pig year. Uh, Jane, wait. Might have been that was know. that was Peter Gabriel. That'll that that'll was, do, pig. That 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 song. I didn't realize that. That'll do, pig. Oh my god! I gotta go back do. and listen to that. No, it was James Horner and Will Jennings for "My Heart Will Go On," oh my sung gosh. by Celine. Our Celine, <laughs> riding high. <laughs> it's um, all coming back to me now, Lex. It's all coming back. Oh my Brunch. god! All right, I love it. Um, yeah, I I I don't even honestly I. I I don't know that I have that much to say about the song. I mean, it is like you said, it's it's another one of these that has "Ballad of" in in the title, but isn't necessarily a. a it's a bit of a story song. It's it's the perfect sort of Gen X story song, which is that I'm going to inflate this idea of a ballad um, to a to a large degree and then. 
deflate it mm-hmm. at the end with uh, with big nothing uh, as as the closer uh, of this thing of of uh, you know do you do you want uh, you can do what you want to whenever you want to you know all this empowerment and then pff, fuck it yeah you know it's so he Gen X it's He's, so him yeah. and. You can feel it not only in basically all his songs, but in this song in particular. It's so beautiful. It's so melodic. It just, it reaches for the stars, but at the same time, it's just looking down at its shoes and feeling miserable. It's it's torn. I mean, that's yeah. He was right on the edge of of, of, of the abyss. There's no question about it. I mean, the guy. It's the most. Uh, and then this is death is the one of the most gruesome but romantic kind of he fell on a knife i mean he 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 intentionally killed himself by falling on a knife i think yeah i don't know if you know if you need to include that but it was it's it's such a but then there's two i mean that's the other thing it's like his death is almost a, a a mirror image of of the feeling that these songs provide of like it it's so sure it's so intentional that it 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 doesn't match with um, a, 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 a suicide by knife. There's no, there was no hesitation. There's two stabs. Uh, it, it, it plays as if it were a murder, but it, it we wasn't. We don't think it was. Yeah, it was a suicide. It's just, it's as puzzling as as and conflicted as as he is. Yeah, it's you know when I when I think in like years to when you have to explain. Like just generationally, you know, there's a lot of talk of like generational differences, yeah. but like that kind of feeling, that kind of feeling that it's slightly, it's not quite like reality bites. It's like a, it's like a genuine, it's, 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 well, it's slacker culture meets nihilism and rea- depression yes. and, and real, but real deep, dark despair, but dressed up with so much beauty. It's like a, almost like a, a Nick Drake kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, mixed with more Beatles but it's like so different from like a <laughs> you know a, a current generational sort of th- that kind of no it really feels it, uh, I, uh, I think is so far from our from our zeitgeist right now I know it's hard to remember what it's almost hard to remember what this was like that but it was, this tra- at least if you were there and you felt it and you were of that generation which we are uh, these songs snap you back to it yeah very quickly to make you remember what we felt like, sort of like nothing matters. <laughs> nothing matters. Who we were not why, a, why try? We were not an activist generation. <laughs> or you like to put it mildly? We're still not. But it's like no. uh, it's fuck it. It's, it's the name of the game. It's, Elliot Smith would be baffled by his uh, current Portland. I think where he's uh, died. Right, hundred percent. He's uh, he's he per- God. He produced some some beautiful music. Yeah, and the other thing is that I, immaculate. So I, I lived in that neighborhood in LA at that time I would almost on a daily basis pass the place where he committed suicide where he lived with his girlfriend I would also pass the wall uh on sunset where um the figure eight uh mural was that now then became quickly became and now I think still is uh sort of a a a devotion wall to him with you know flowers really? often oh yeah, yeah yeah it's essentially it's a it's it's treated like a grave site 
um, where, where fans leave flowers and messages and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it I was just should... a part of my life, Elliot Smith, for a good eight years. Well, I mean, he was he was soft spoken. He was soft spoken when when I saw him like play normally, and I saw him one time with just a guitar. I saw him then one time with the band with Quasi behind him at the at the Black Cat in 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 Washington D.C. Yeah. during college, and then I saw him once at this festival at Giant Stadium and. He had a couple of people helping him then, but that was the stadium show. But he was still soft spoken the other times. But then it was like, it was a huge um, festival that was. They tried to do a festival basically on Staten Island, Long Island kind of area. Um, Radiohead was there and uh, and spiritualized and some hip hop. uh, It's tribe well cast. Yeah, and um, it it didn't it didn't work like it rained nonstop but. So I have this, uh, but it's one of my memories, and um, it brings me right back to that. So I think I think we should just end the episode with that. Small I was song. just about to say I was like, my, we didn't play the song, but let's let's end it with that song. Thanks for thank. I think this is a fun. I mean, who exercise. knew this was an experiment? And <laughs> Here we uh, are two hours later, <laughs> I know. I was like, this will be forty-five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Floating can be out to the